Hi there, and welcome to my Fashion Stories Box podcast, a podcast about stories in fashion history. I'm Catherine, and I am so glad to welcome you here. Let's discover together interesting facts about fashion and history and fashion history. Our today's story in fashion history will bring us in ancient Greece, the period which saw the birth of democracy, the birth of philosophy with Socrates and Plato and Homer and his hero Ulysses, and the civilization with one of the most powerful gods of that time, Zeus. Who weren't afraid of the power of gods, always looking for their approvals, not daring to challenge them, not willing to lie to them. But poor humans of that time, there were only toys in the hands of the supreme gods, and especially Ira, the unfortunate wife-sister of the all-powerful god cheater Zeus, who took a certain pleasure to torture a woman who had an affair with her husband brother. Well, just ask Alcmene, Heracles' mother. Ancient Greeks were strong believers and their lives were ruled by their gods and goddesses. Everything, from the seasons to the weather and the passing of the days, were associated with a god. I already mentioned some of them, but let me introduce you to the main all-powerful ancient Greek gods, the Olympians. Named like that because they are said to live on Mount Olympus. So, the main gods of the Greek mythology were Zeus, the god-in-chief, Hera, his wife's sister, goddess of marriage, women, childbirth, and family, Poseidon, god of the seas, waters, storms, hurricanes, earthquakes, and horses, Demeter, goddess of the harvest, fertility, agriculture, nature, and the seasons, Athena, goddess of wisdom, handicraft and warfare, Apollo, god of light, the sun, prophecy, philosophy, archery, truth, inspiration, poetry, music, hearts, manly beauty, medicine, healing and plague, Artemis, goddess of the hunt, the wilderness, virginity, the moon, archery, childbirth, protection and plague, Hares, god of war, violence, bloodshed, and manly virtues. Hephaestus, god of the forge, craftsmanship, invention, fire, and volcanoes. Aphrodite, goddess of love, pleasure, patience, procreation, fertility, beauty, and desire. Hermes, the messenger of the gods, the god of travels, commerce, communication, borders, eloquence, diplomacy, thieves and games, and the guide of the dead souls to the underworld. To these main gods and goddesses, you can add two others who also play an important role in the ancient Greece mythology. Hestia, goddess of the fire and of the right ordering of domesticity and family, and Dionysus, god of wine, grapevine, fertility, festivity, ecstasy, madness, and resurrection. To these main gods and goddesses, you have also plenty of less important gods, names, and so on. A very rich mythology, as I said. 
So now that I got you covered with potential names for your cats or dogs or even your brand, <laughs> just kidding, let's see how people used to live their human's life under the influence of these powerful gods. To start with, there wasn't really an ancient Greece territory with delimited borders. It was more a network of independent state cities sharing the same language, culture and mythology but making wars to each other from time to time. Think about the Trojan War started because of Paris falling in love with the beautiful Helen and leading Hulis to spend years before being able to come back to Attica because he offended Hera. Yes. When I told you it was difficult to be a human at that time. The society by itself was composed of two types of people, the free people and the slaves. If you were in the last category, you didn't really have rights, you were just a property, kind of human animal. But then, the free people were composed of men. <laughs> How strange for a place which saw the birth of democracy. Yes, women were placed at the same level as children. And for all the admiration I can have for this entire civilization and the concept it brought to our modern Western world, it was still a completely patriarchal society. Though they had very powerful goddesses. Anyway, ancient Greek men liked to gather in the agora in the center of the city and debate philosophy, politics, arts. They also liked to play games. They were the ones who organized first the now infamous Olympic Games, a series of games to which all these independent state cities would send their finest sportsmen to compete and win. All these men were very athletic, with lots of muscles, playing naked or almost. They were even considered as almost gods. It's not for nothing that we now say handsome as a Greek god when we speak about a handsome man with an athletic figure. Just look at the pottery from ancient Greek times featuring these men competing in various sports. Yes, indeed, ancient Greeks were promoting a certain way of life and silhouette. Nudity wasn't considered as a sin, at least for men. And when you look at statues, they are always representing muscular and healthy men, even for older men. They also liked to gather in the amphitheaters, watching plays, comedies, but also trage tragedies. Of course, only men could act. Remember, women were just children, right? If you happen to travel alongside the Mediterranean coast, you will see many remains from this powerful civilization. I have the luck to live in Turkey, and the ancient Greek heritage here is so rich. Ephesus and the Hadrian Library in the Izmir region, Artemisos, Perge, Aspendos, Side, Olympos in the Antalya region. But you of course have modern Greece. I offer now that we go to the state city of the powerful goddess Athena. Athens. Let's have a scroll in the streets of the city and discover their architecture. I don't know about you, but I have a fascination for historical reconstructions. 
I like to wander in a whole city and try to imagine life there with its people, street life, architecture during its golden, golden age. So, let's imagine how the Acropolis would look like at the peak of its glory. Big temples dedicated to gods and goddesses, the most important being of course the one dedicated to Athena. You would also have amphitheaters, statues, columns alongside the roads, official buildings, olive trees for some green touches in this sea of whites and to protect yourself from the sun, meaning Apollo, when it was at its zenith. People would attend to their businesses, young men going to hear the words of prominent philosophers, women going grocery shopping with their children, older men going to official buildings or praying to the temples. But wait a minute, who is that young man seeming to be quite in a hurry? Let's go closer to him. This is our hero, Leonidas, son of Yasonas. But shouldn't it be at the Agora, attending a lecture from Plato? Well, he seems not going to the right direction anyway. Let's follow him. He just entered a villa, his family house. Leonidas is a young, promising man destined to be a brilliant diplomat. But he seems to have lost some focus and seriousness after his meeting with a certain Calliope a few weeks ago at a play, and he just learned where she was living. He rushed to his room, waking up his slave at the same time. We can see him gesticulating in all directions, giving orders and counter-orders to his poor servants. It seems he's preparing for a trip, asking his slave to prepare a chiton clamis and petasos alongside with some water and food. Hmm, if I'm not mistaken, I think I've heard the word Delphi. Oh, our young Leonidas is planning to go to see the oracle of Delphi, this powerful priestess able to decipher the words of Apollo and predict the future. Located on Mount Parnassus Delphi is a small town, some 180 kilometers from Athens. Leonidas surely has a pressing matter to ask to undertake such a trip in such a hurry. Though, we might have guessed the topic of his questionings. And now, let's look back at his outfits, the Chiton, Clamis and Petasus. Ancient Greeks liked functional clothing, simply made and to last. It was usually a single piece of fabric, no tearing yet, styled around the body, taking into account the weather conditions and the fashion of the time. The basic piece for both men and women was a tunic-like garment whose length and quality of fabrics used would depend on the gender, job and social position of the wearer. For his trip to Delphi, Leonidas is wearing the chiton, the Greek name for this tunic for men. The chiton is basically, as we said, a piece of linen fabrics which is fastened at the shoulder level with a pin, the fibula, and tightened at the waist with a belt. The chiton could be long or short, think mid-tight. And to ease his journey on the road to Delphi, 
No need us, we'll wear the short version of the chiton. The clamis is a rectangular piece of wool worn as a coat young men would wrap themselves in over the chiton. The longer version of this coat outfit was named imation. And the petasos is a sort of hat worn to protect the wearer's head from the sun. The journey will take him around two days to go to Delphi and two, around two days back. He will also bring with him offerings for the Pythia as branches of laurel and money. Leonidas will also need to sacrifice a black ram. Let's wave him goodbye now and wish him good luck for his encounter with the Pythia of Delphi. We will meet him again in a few days at his return, hopefully, with great news. In the meantime, shall we meet Calliope, the one who stole the heart of our Leonidas? Calliope is also the daughter of a respectful senator, Demetrius. Though having basically no rights compared to men, Calliope still benefited from a good education. As a young girl, she studied reading, writing, mathematics, literature, poetry, poetry and music. She became an accomplished lyre player and won several musical competitions. At 16 years old, she still wasn't married, contrary to her girlfriends who married around 14 years old, some already having their first babies. But she wasn't in a hurry, and as the last daughter, her father, who lost his wife a few years ago, wasn't forcing her in any kind of arranged marriage, as was usually the tradition. However, things might be on their way to change after her father introduced her to Leonidas and his family when they were at the theater a few weeks ago, sitting not far from each other and glancing at each other from time to time during the play. A new day started and Aurora opened the doors to Apollo riding his horses and light, illuminating the glorious city of Athens. Calliope is getting ready for a bath. Hygiene was very important and after bathing she will anoint her body with creams and perfumes. Helped by her slaves, she will get ready for a day. Her peplos was ready to be fastened around her body. The peplos is the name given to the ancient Greek basic tunic for women. Her slave will fasten it at the shoulders with two gold fibula and skillfully fold the fabrics around her mistress' body to create beautiful fold and draping effects. Modesty was a must for ancient Greek women and the peplos would cover as much, as much skin as possible up to the feet. Then the servant will style her long hairs with braids to create a sophisticated bun with curls framing the face. A beautiful leather band with gold flowers and leaves will be added. As jewelry, she will put a golden arm cuff, a necklace and earrings with leaves motifs. Leaves motifs were quite in fashion for accessories at that time for both men and women. For example, a crown of leaves was offered to the winners of a competition during the Olympic Games. As Calliope was planning to go planning the lyre on the garden, she also put on her head a light veil with gold threads and delicately perfume. The weather would have been colder, she would have worn an epiblema, a long piece of wool fabric she would have wrapped over her peplos. 
I wish I had a servant helping me every morning with my toilet routines as it was the case for Calliope. But other times, other customs. And to be honest, I prefer to be a free and independent woman than considered as a human being with as much intellect as a child, even if children can be very sensible. Calliope was rejoined by her father on the garden who sat on a bench starting to read the last Plato's philosophy book. Slaves brought some refreshments, the day being quite hot even under the olive trees. A servant rushed into the garden and bending in front of Demetrius announced that Yasonas, son of Achilles, and Leonidas, son of Yasonas, were at the entrance, requesting an audience. Does it mean that Leonidas' trip to Delphi and the prophecy of the Pythia were auspicious? In any case, Leonidas put all efforts on his appearance. His hair neatly cut, his face freshly shaved and wearing his most beautiful chiton, all white with gold threads, fastened with a gold fibula on the left shoulder and touching, touching the floor. This type of chiton fastened on one shoulder was named exome. We will leave them there, hoping that Apollo predicted them a lifelong love, and we'll come back to our modern days and see how designers took inspiration from ancient Greek outfits. Sometimes it can be very difficult to tell apart inspiration from ancient Greece and inspiration from ancient Rome, the reason being that the Roman Empire, coming after the Greeks, took almost everything from them, from the outfits to the divinities, and just changed their names. I think we can say that the Romans were the first plagiarists in history. We may come back to them though someday in a future podcast. Some Italian designers paid tribute to the Greek heritage of Italy as Gucci in its pre-fall 2019 collection Divine Bohemians or Dolce & Gabbana for the Alta Moda and Alta Sartoria collection in 2019. Karl Feld in his Modernity, Modernity of Antiquity Chanel Cruise 2018 collection also put ancient Greece at the heart of fashion with references to architecture, pottery, and dresses. Maria Grazia Chiuri for Dior created modern dresses inspired by the ancient Greek peplos for the brand's Hot Couture Spring Summer 2020 collection. My favorite, though, is the very talented Greek designer Mary Quatranzu, who uses fashion as a way to pay tribute to the richness of her country's past by playing with patterns as in our spring-summer 2017 collection, or more recently, by staging a grandiose show at the Temple of Poseidon for a spring-summer 2020 collection. I'm sure the gods left their Mount Olympus to attend it. An array of dresses and accessories from designers our heroine Calliope would have been more than willing to wear. I'm sure of that. I 
head up to my blog, my blog box, and to my Instagram, cat and my at my marketing toolbox for visuals related to ancient Greece. And feel free to share with me your discoveries. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed these short fashion stories in ancient Greece. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen your podcast, to follow me on Instagram and Facebook, and to have a look at my blog to complete the podcast with some visuals. I'm Catherine, and this is my Fashion Stories Box podcast, a podcast about stories in fashion history. See you next week for a new Fashion Story Box. Mm-hmm.